Hey there, this is Eric Wright, the host of the Disco Posse podcast, and welcome to the show for newcomers, and thank you for coming back. If you're a repeat listener, you're about to hear a really great conversation with Kirk Marple, and Kirk is the CEO and founder of Unstruck Data. They're solving some really, really cool problems, some crazy difficult problems. We get into how they do it, the choice on the platform, a lot more. But before we get to that, I like to solve big problems, and I like to tell you about the great sponsors that help me to help you solve your problems. That's a lot of help. That's a lot of problems. The first problem is making sure that you have everything you need for your data protection needs. And it's simply easy to go no further than to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. And you can find out everything that the fine folks at Veeam Software have to offer, whether it's on-premises, in the cloud, virtual stacks, cloud native and containerization. Holy heck, even your SaaS stuff. So don't forget to back that SaaS up, which includes things like your Office 365, your Microsoft Teams. Ooh, that's right. Just when you thought it was all protected because it's in the cloud, the cloud is just somebody else's computer and no one's backing it up except for you. So get it in. That's veeam, V-E-E dot A-M forward slash Disco Posse. All right, speaking of protection, the one thing you wanna make sure you do is you protect your identity, you protect your data, and you protect your traffic. Privacy is a human right. And the fine folks at ExpressVPN, they know that. I know, I use it, especially because I'm traveling around and you're in places where you don't trust the Wi-Fi because you shouldn't trust the Wi-Fi. You shouldn't trust it ever. So go to ExpressVPN and find out how to protect yourself and your privacy. It's very easy. Go to tryexpressvpn.com forward slash discoposse and they'll hook you up. It's a real, real cool thing. I highly recommend it. All right, one last thing, one more thing, seriously. But wait, there's more. You want great coffee? Go to diabolicalcoffee.com. That's it. Amazing coffee, devilishly good, and also wicked cool swag. All right, let's get in. This is Kirk Marple. Kirk Marple is the CEO and founder of Unstruck Data. We talk about his own history of building a platform, building a product development, being the, the first salesperson. It's it's a really cool lesson in how to start and found a business and being a technical founder. I had a really, really great time chatting with Kirk, and I think you're going to be able to tell in this conversation. Let's check it out. Hi, everybody. This is Kirk Marple, CEO of Unstruck Data, and I am here on the Disco Posse podcast. You've you've done this before, Kirk. <laughs> Professional. <laughs> it's it's it. funny. I was a DJ in college, and so it's like it, it feels like going back to those old days. So. Oh, nice. That's actually the throwback. That's how the whole like intro started. It was like hearing folks that you know, you know, hey, this is Vince Neil from Motley Crue, and you're listening to WNEFNY. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm like, it's it is a lot of fun. Every once in a while, someone says like. I don't think that you would ask the CEO of like some company to do that. I'm like, oh, actually, no, I would. That's the, that's the <laughs> funny thing about this. So, yeah, that's good. Uh, but Kirk, thank you very much for joining. I, I know this is an area that I'm passionate about because you are solving a complex problem that really is I, I get excited by complex problems. Maybe it's the the nerd in me that loves to look for 
you know, where what a lot of people think are generally intractable problems as well. Yeah. And you've you've got an incredible sort of history in leading up to what we'll talk about with unstruck data and also just you know the way you're running the team and, and a lot of the stuff around the the founding of the organization is mm -hmm. really cool so i want to i really thank you very much for sharing the time with us and if you don't mind kirk let's give a quick intro and a bio of yourself we'll talk about unstruck yeah. data and then we'll we'll go from there happy to yeah i mean at a simplest case, I mean, I'm a career software developer who ended up starting a bunch of companies, and so I still still write code pretty much every day. But I've, uh, I mean, I bootstrapped companies, sold them, and now I guess was working on this this concept for about four or five years. Um, just kind of nights and weekends, had this sort of itch to think about other ways to manage what we call unstructured data. I mean, in in a way, we called it back in the media entertainment world. I mean, we just called it media. But it's really not about eyeballs. It's about the data itself for industries. And, and that's really what we're all about today is figuring out a platform and tooling for a wide range of industrial and commercial customers. I mean, from a port to a public safety group to a manufacturing plant, they're all using images, videos, 3D files, documents, everything like that today. And what, I mean, my thesis was, was they're just isn't a good set of tools and platforms for this. And people are really either having to build it themselves, as is what we see commonly, or I mean, hire developers to write a bunch of Python code or something to index all this data and, and make it usable. But I had this concept where I thought we could do it automatically. I mean, get you 80% of the way there and kind of an easy button, and then uh, and then hopefully have a platform to build on to, to kind of finish out the last 20%. Well, and this is, I said, the first thing you have to unpack for people is just even the definition when we yep. talk about unstructured data, because, you know, I quite often you tell people about you know, unstructured data and they're like, you mean like no SQL? I'm like, well, no, that's, yep. I get what you're going to associate it, but this is <laughs> a very specific thing, not, not just unstructured data and attaching metadata, but complex yep. data, because it's not easy to categorize uh, and, and it, log data is the other one that people always go back to. Of, I mean, the, right. the data dogs of the world and stuff like that. But yeah, we're we're definitely opinionated. I mean, it's it's what you would think of as like in a Google Photos or iPhoto for a consumer, images, video, most of that kind of stuff. But it's in the industrial workplace, which is an order of magnitude. I mean, three D is big, CAD drawings, all that kind of stuff. When this is where the 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 scale takes you to a difficult place quickly in yeah. this world, right? And that's know, really the differentiating factor for us is, I mean, it, we always say like, if you're dealing with like a hundred or a thousand photos or whatever, we're not the right, like we're overkill. But I mean, when you start getting into hundreds of thousands and millions, like, and you have to ingest that data and think about storage and think about performance, that's where it gets really tricky. When we're at a, an interesting spot where even where people aren't understanding how to exploit, and I'll sorry, I say exploit's the nice way of the harder way of saying leverage, but like exploit meaning that you ultimately extract every possible, you know, inch of value out of this this content and this data. They know they need to collect it. Mm -hmm. And they need to store and they need to. So we've kind of got the first phase, which is ideation like well we've got this potential to capture this data and then okay let's start <laughs> and then let's try and then get 
insight out of the data. Yeah. And that's so a lot of people really did start probably, you know, within the last decade, especially doing a lot more, you know, just raw collection, but yeah. then they don't know what to do. Right. And they're, they're not really thinking about it strategically. And that's, I mean, that's really where we are really being opinionated about is data ingestion is where we're starting. And just people have data sitting in S3 buckets, they have it in blob storage, they have it in Dropbox or something like that. Getting it into something, a platform and indexing it is, I mean, it's been done in a sense, but it hasn't been done at scale very well. For, and across all the different formats. I mean, everything from right. a point cloud to a CAD drawing. That's the first stage. And then data organization of auto-organizing that data. Um, I mean, we have a, a, a one of our investors is a, an oil and gas company, and they have, I mean, hundreds of thousands of videos of the undersea floor of where the oil pipelines run. And I mean, what we've heard is they just sit in an S3 bucket somewhere, in a, in a storage container somewhere, and they're not well indexed by time and, and geospace and stuff like that, or even about what's in the videos themselves. And so we really see a platform that can just get access to the data and organize it as the first step. And then it's about exploring the data. I mean, what's interesting? I want to filter by that region of the North Sea or that region of the Pacific Ocean. And I want to look in this month in 2017 and only look there. Like, that's really the next part we're pretty opinionated about. And then the visualization. And I mean, because a lot of times we can give you information automatically, but you may see stuff in the data visually that is, I mean, unique or something that only matter you would only see yourself. And we can't train machine learning to be that specific all the time. And then and then exactly what you said is data insights. That's the next phase and where we're getting to. And our version one is not going to cover that yet really, but it's um, it's really the next fast follow because that that is really where we need to get to is is tell people about their data automatically um, and augment it. Yeah, this is the uh, I'll say sort of the there's a panacea of what we we hope to reach, and there are a lot of islands of of real incredible innovation that we have to traverse to get to this great place, and it's. It's neat when you talk about, like I said, the industrial use cases you've got, you know, again, the first thing as humans, we think is like, oh, I've got to get, you know, photo data. They think yeah. of fairly simplistic use cases. The first thing you think yeah. is like, oh, I can tell the difference between which, which of my kids is in the photo. <laughs> like it's like, yeah. The, yeah. we immediately try to attach it to a thing. But like you said, the sea floor, the first thing you think is like, this is very hard to differentiate, and you've got to attach, you know, topological metadata about it. You've got to attach location data. Like it's there's a fantastic and amount the, the of other data. Time. Yeah, well, changing that's right. Time. Yeah, it's not even that's it's really a moving thing. And how do you know, like you know? Okay, it's that picture, and I see. Oh wait, there's a rock on the on the pipeline right now. But when did that rock appear? I mean, was it in the last set of scans? And how do we know it's the same part of a pipe? Like, that's really where it gets tricky. Yeah, the and this is the problems that are being uh, thought about in these industrial uh, arenas. You know, again, you get into mining, you get into, you know, and just topological and GIS work that's, that's happening. It, it's incredible because they've, a lot of them have sort of just ascertained like, ah, this is it. 
that's the best we got, right? We, we've got satellite, we've got certain things, and we're going to have to do some kind of level of manual and sort of human managed classification and, and storage. Mm -hmm. For the longest time, it was really seen as like the scale would be too fast. It can't be done in any kind of real yeah. time. So they just kind of threw their hands up and said like, okay, then yeah. let's just fire it into, a, into an S3 bucket. As he said, probably yeah. exposing it to the world by accident. And uh, then yeah, we'll deal with it later, right? <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, and we've heard this time and time again of, of, I mean, number one, it's either siloed where the, maybe the data has been captured, but it exists in, in separate sort of systems. And so they're having a trouble, they're having trouble kind of connecting that up and seeing holistic across that. That's one problem they have. Scale is another one. And then honestly, just, I mean, getting it, as we get into different file formats, like 3D point clouds and stuff like that, it's just a technically more hard, it's a harder problem. And um, I mean, dealing with 50 million points in a scan of, of a facility is a lot different than dealing with, I mean, uh, one gigabyte like JPEG. Or something like that. So it's it's just right. a big a big big difference. Yeah. While the rest of the world is trying to tell the difference between a pomeranian and a blueberry muffin, we <laughs> you've got bigger bigger things to solve for, and and we'll look at autonomous you know autonomous driving, the oh, yeah. amount of data points that are continuously updating in real time, and that's that can't be aged data. That's where they need to be able to have rapid access to classify, measure, apply other machine learning. And it can only be done once they actually sort of set the source of truth as close to real time as possible of the data itself, right? It's really true. And I think and even what we're seeing is there's a kind of sifting mode of you have so much data, you just kind of need to get to the, I mean, the, the needle in the haystack a bit, but you don't really want to, there's not ever one thing you're looking for. You're just trying to get to a kind of sifted out smaller data set. And then maybe you're using manual techniques, you're using machine learning or whatever, but it's, um, and that's what we're looking at is, I mean, okay, I just want to carve my, I have this massive data set. I want to carve it down by like by tags, by time, by geospace. And then maybe, maybe I'm left with a thousand images or a thousand whatevers. And then that's what I want to do labeling on and machine learning on and things like that. But you can't, you got to have a good organizational way to start at that massive data warehouse first and then just get to what you're trying to work with. And then what we're also adding is, I mean, the concept of data collaboration of your teams need to discuss that data in a way that is localized to the data and actually literally have like almost like a Instagram feed commenting history on an image of the seafloor. I mean, it's like a, I mean, there's consumer patterns that we're, we're trying to bring a little bit to have your teams discuss the data right in in, uh, in place. Um, and then maybe even leverage that. Like, and, and when you start to see, we can run machine learning on that and say, hey, why is this, why are these assets getting a lot more chatter than, than other right. assets, things like that. So, um, I mean, it's not, a, it's not day one for us, but I think once we start to get that flow of data working, that's where I really see it getting to. And let's talk about the team because in your own background, yeah. obviously this is not this is not something somebody just says, I I'm a general front end kid. I think I've got this crazy idea. Like, you know, you you've got some real history in yeah. where this come from. So talk about how you began and, and where For this sure. suddenly became obvious to you <laughs> that there was a problem. I mean, it's so I've I mean, as I said, uh, software developer, did my master's in CS and just ended up at Microsoft doing, 
I mean, a bunch of really interesting things around like 3D virtual worlds and I mean, uh, worked in the media, Windows Media Player Group. So started to cut my teeth on metadata. And that was really where I started to see the concept of media metadata around that. And then really it was starting my own company that was doing video transcoding. Even we did audio transcoding, things like that. We were working with metadata from the record labels, actually trying to collate that into a feed back to, I mean, this is pre-Spotify, but it was essentially the same thing where the record labels would uh, basically publish it almost like on an S3 bucket, but it was like on an FTP server. Here's my data, here's my audio, like my WAV files, my metadata. And essentially we were doing transcoding um, for a company at the time to burn CDs on a CD kiosk. And that was really where, I mean, it's, it's very similar in a way to what we're doing now, but it's taking that metadata, taking unstructured data in those audio and creating some structure from it. And we were like canonicalizing the metadata and doing something where we could create a feed. Um, and that was, I mean, I, I had that company for about almost a dozen years and sold it, but I mean, I, I learned immense amounts just dealing with video at the broadcasters, dealing with audio. Um, we even had an image archive we built for one, uh, someone. And so I've always been kind of cross media type in that way. And really I see this as a second generation of that, but not for media entertainment, companies like studios and stuff, but really for everybody else. And and by incorporating the 3D side, the documents, CAD drawings, all that is, it really opens up um, to, to a lot more stuff. And um, I mean, a couple of years ago, I got interested in knowledge graphs. And that was really the turning point of just on my own, just trying to learn. And I saw how this application of taking media, taking the metadata and mapping it to a knowledge graph um, I was actually working on a podcast discovery platform. And this is my kind of passion project of, um, that was what I was trying to build nights and weekends. And then I realized everything kind of synchronized this last year. I was like, maybe it just makes more sense to map this to industry and commercial and kind of instead of consumer. Um, I still think that idea has, has legs someday, but it's, uh, I mean, was able to get funding for this idea of basically taking the same approach. I mean unstructured data, media data to a structured knowledge graph and, and make it searchable and, and all that. Um, I had a team of, I do have a team of folks that I've worked with. Um, we've worked with multiple companies together. Um, I mean, they uh, they came along and were, I mean, happy to join the ride. And so it's a great bunch of folks that, I mean, on product, QA, design, um, engineering, everybody. And um, yeah, I mean, so we, so I had the back end of the product mostly done, like, 80% done before we started because I had already been working on it. Um, and so we'd mostly been working on the front end. And so we've been basically started in like March of this year is when we got funding. And what's that about four months? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. So Life comes at you fast. Yeah, <laughs> four months, but we're, we're probably about six to eight weeks away from getting into the hands of customers. So moving very fast and uh, the product's already looking great. I mean, it's, um, it's been a, been a push, but uh yeah, I mean, we have design partners we're starting to talk to. We just hired a new head of sales. And um, we're just right on that cusp of um, sort of proof is in the pudding now. Like we have a product and we made an opinionated kind of thesis about what it should do and why it's doing it. Now we just got to prove it and um, and make I mean, make customers happy is, is all what it matters at those points. So with your understanding at real enterprise scale, you know, how important was that in yeah. your ability to now have a go-to-market with this product because this quite often is a really tough battle when you go especially the companies at the scale that are going to leverage this they generally have a very strong engineering 
team or set of teams. There's a lot of NIH, the not invented here sort of mentality. It's so I'm, I'm interested in where you know that you can, you know, leverage both relationships as well as just general market understanding to speed that GTM. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. I mean, I think, and I, I have assumed that even like I was at General Motors for for a time working on that was where I first got exposed to kind of industrial media, as you want to call it, or industrial and structured data. And it's like, I'm not even sure if they would be a customer for it because it is a bit of like, it's a bigger ecosystem. I mean, they have a lot more engineers. Like there's, a, we are competing against what I call DIY, but you, know, you kind of it, sort yeah. of NIH in a way, but it's, it's uh, I mean, there's, there's a slice of customers or companies that I'm just not that worried about. I mean, like Uber, I mean, Tesla, like they're not gonna use our software. <laughs> I know that, <laughs> they're, gonna, they're gonna build it themselves. They already have tools for, for stuff like that. But if you take a notch down, there's a huge swath of industrial companies from manufacturing to chemical to um, any, I mean, other robotics, OEMs and things like that, that I mean, I believe, I mean, can really make use of this. And it's not gonna solve every problem they have, but hopefully it's a catalyst to let them do the hard problems. Like we kind of want to be an easy button, really more about the data management. We're not going to solve every machine learning problem in the world, but we want to plug into other platforms for, to let people invent and, and be the more bespoke specific parts. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, initially our goal is not to like take over the entire machine learning world. It's really to solve a problem that a lot of people have to do themselves and then build a platform for people to integrate with. Um, that was in in my old world, my old company, and that was a big jumping off point where we had an API that some of the broadcasters could plug right into. And they stopped even using our front end web UI and just talked to the API. And, and we just became like a core component in their system. Um, and that's, I think, the, that's the path I see for us is you got to start somewhere. We have a really nice UI and with data visualization and um, essentially data analytics type UI but the platform's there for the taking. So once we get people kind of flowing with data, we have a GraphQL API, we can say, hey, do you want to do anything interesting on, on your data that we already have? Here's an API for you. And um, so it is a twofold kind of go to market like that. Well, it's important too, because you know even where there are folks that have gone down the road, in fact, sometimes the best thing you can have is a team that have made a run at it and they've realized yeah. the, the challenge because then they start to think about life cycle. Even if they do it well, they now own and operate that infra that app infrastructure forever. And you bring them a solution that effectively sheds a layer within that stack for them. And then you now just, you can handle life cycle of the application mm -hmm. and just simply present an API that can very cleanly deprecate for them. They don't have to worry about any of that stuff as, as changes occur. The underlying infrastructure, you can tap into different backends. Yep. It's it's important. And because of the scale of folks that you're, you're going to, they'll probably have seen some of the limits already. Yeah. And in it, their and own even, even things like um, making best use of cloud storage and putting unused data in their cold storage now, stuff like that. It's like, I mean, that's a sort of edge case that, I mean, what every vendor, every co company in the world can have to implement their own multi-tier storage. I mean, that's that's like, we can just plug that into the platform and they get it for free. It's like, hey, we'll save you a little money by, I mean, pushing your data out or archiving it or whatever. Um, that's the kind of stuff that we can do easily and give them an insight to say, look, I mean, hey, here's an analytics view of all your data. You have 
47% images and 50% of that is JPEGs. And I mean, 80% happen to be in this geospatial region. Like we can show them clusters. Like that's where I want to get to is showing them those automatic insights on their data that they would not be able to find themselves manually. And, and even, I mean, deduplication of data is important as well. I mean, they may, who knows, they didn't realize that someone, I mean, copied their whole S3 bucket into another S3 bucket and it was actually the same data. Um, and we can automatically, like we index even down to like a, what's called a C4 ID. It's like a unique hash of the data that we can then dedupe on. So there's really, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, sure, the core of this, maybe other people can do, maybe not at scale, but they can solve enough of their problem. And then it, but the more features we can add to be like, oh, wow, you get all this for free. It's, it's managed by someone else. Um, that's where I think it gets pretty interesting. And, and we have, I mean, we've talked to customers who, tried to cobble together a solution in some of these spaces, but it's like, they're not the right, I mean, they did a great job at it, but to maintain it for the next five years, it's not their, it's not their job title. Like, I mean, they're not, they're, they're doing it on the side kind of, but they have their own day job, essentially they're doing as well. So that's where, those are the people we're trying to help. Yeah, I may enjoy changing the brakes on my car, but I don't want to be responsible for all four of the cars every season, right? It just, yeah. I, I may get a little hankering to give it a whirl again, like when I was a kid, but <laughs> that's, I don't want to own it forever at that point. It's exactly true. And I think, I mean, that's where we do want to play well with the ecosystem. I mean, people do want to have their hands deeper into it. I mean, we can, they can access the data and do their own compute on top of it, but I mean, I just believe, I mean, especially at scale. I mean, once you start to get hundreds of thousands or millions, it's you just can't do it manually anymore. And and so we're we're trying to just build that tool, those tools and platforms to to make that easier. But it sounds definitely that based on your understanding of where the I'll say the floor is on the appropriate customer, you know right away you can basically qualify out to make sure that you're not wasting anyone's time as you say, like here's an example use case we've got, does it sound like this is where you're at? And they can say like, oh, oh no, 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 we're, we're definitely not there yet. It's, uh, and also because you've lived the actual experience yeah. of running the environments, you've got a better insight to be able to have that conversation instead of- And that's you know, worth, worth helping. Developing that go-to-market strategy a bit better. We have a new, um, guy we just brought on who's awesome he's been here about a month but we're just still trying to def like define the storytelling part of it and just like okay who is the sweet spot and kind of work backwards in the customer journey because i think like we've had some people show interest in the knowledge graph side of it but our version one is more opinionated about geospatial like if, right. if you don't have geospatial data we're, we're really not in the sweet spot right now um and so because that's a lot of what our ui has i mean it has a map view it has other stuff that it's um, you wouldn't be getting the be the benefit of it. So we have, I mean, there's people we're going to have to turn down just because. Look, I mean, it's not our, it's not a perfectly aligned yet. Give us a year or two, <laughs> maybe we can stretch to that. But right, it's. I think that's where we just need to kind of stick to our guns a little bit and say, look, I mean, here's what we're focused on for go to market for this year, um, and really just, I, I mean, I want to get really sticky customers who just start putting data into the platform and and grow with us too and as we and grow with as we can grow with them well and this really brings a you know given your development and product experience and that you've you know been to the you've been to the well before as a startup yeah. founder that idea of like ruthless pragmatism when it comes to features that you bring into whatever you bring to the market 
again, have you found that you've got a good handle on it? How's the rest of the team? Because it's very easy for us to be like, well, if we just added one or two more features, we get this customer, but you don't actually know that that's the case. They're just saying that because they're trying to defer the conversation half the time, right? I mean, that's the truth. And I mean, that's we're we're pretty much right on the cusp of that right now because we're just about to show, but we've taken in a lot of customer input, but until they get it in their hands, it's a different story. And so we're just about to go into a private preview, kind of early access mode um, in basically a month and a half or so. And that'll be really where things get real is, I mean, have we inferred their their problem set correctly? Um, And what are we missing? I mean, I'm sure we're missing something. And we've actually left a good bit of time in the roadmap for the next quarter or so just to um, not to be super aggressive on features now that we got to this point too, but to know that we're going to get a ton of ideas from the folks that actually start using it. And we have to have capacity to, to be able to respond to that. Um, but it's also, I've been in that situation too, where you start to get into everybody is a unique, like, <laughs> like need something separate and you can get really randomized um, by trying to over respond. So, I mean, I hope I have the, the pragmatism and that's something I think about a lot is, to say, look, I mean, 80-20 rule, like, well, okay, who do we, who can we hit 80% of these people with, with these features? And you've got to be able to say no to customers and say, look, it's just not in our wheelhouse. And I understand what you're saying. I understand what you want. Like, we're not going to build that. <laughs> and like, it's just not something we can respond to. But that's where I, I hope to get to is give them an API, give them access to their data and be like, hey, you want to go find a vendor who wants to build this as like a plugin? Go for it. I mean, here's right. an API to integrate with, or here's a webhook that will get, will tell you when something happens. That's my goal, is you always have to have that escape valve of the API and things like that. Yeah, it really, I often tell people, especially in you know my own sales organization, anybody I talk to in, in advisory, like you've got to at least have that option there. Yeah. Then the onus moves to the customer to really define if that's a need or if it's, you know, I get asked all the time, let's say like, oh, you, you work with every cloud provider. I said, yes, you know, you know, so except we don't do as much with Google. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they'll, they'll often get asked that. And in the case of many of the folks that I talk to, they are just asking because they want to know, not because it's a real sticking point for them to not buy. And it's an intellectual thing, especially as a as a nerd trying to defer the sales conversation. I've, I'm going to throw these things at them, but when I hear, well, yeah, we've got a you know an, an API available, so you can plug other third parties into it. We can get webhooks in and out. You hear these things, you're like, okay, so there's flexibility there. Yeah. If I've got options. I feel okay taking this first step, knowing that there's many ways in which I can go to the next phase. And I think it's a difference between kind of I don't know. It's the right term, but sales and sales engineering, like a salesperson would hear that and they might think it's one-to-one. Like every request is a val- is a is a must-have. And <laughs> then be able to to train your sales team properly to filter that, I think is also key where it's like having someone with a technical input to say, look, just because they asked about AWS, like to your point, um, or Google is not a not a requirement that we need to go to the product team. It's, yeah. I mean, we got to dig into that a little bit more and say, look, I mean, if, I mean, and this is where I, I mean, I, I love that part of this, the technical sales side because I can go then dig into it and kind of listen for those questions and then lean in. Um, I mean, we just, I mean, we've had the same question about like on-prem, like, I mean, do you want to run all of your stuff on-prem? And we're actually managed in Azure today. 
and we can deal with data on AWS or Google or on-prem, but our code, like it's literally running on Azure and because right. we use a lot of managed services and for us to repackage and be portable, we can do it, but I don't, I don't know the value add yet. And, and, and we have had people ask about, can you run on-prem? Can you run on AWS? And my answer right now is, yeah, I mean, Theoretically, we can. I mean, someday, <laughs> but we essentially have to swap out our database and swap out our whatever. Like, I mean, our our Kafka, like our event hub for Kafka or something. And, yeah. um, but it's it's a it's a zero sum. Like, it's a it's a sideways move at that point. Where I mean, we're not getting any value from that, but we just have to make sure the customer is, and they'll. I mean, they they get enough value to to. I mean, like, would they be a customer otherwise? Is this just like a like to have or a must have? Yeah, this is really where. And this is interesting, you know. You're, you're obviously you're you're a technical founder, mm -hmm. and you're uh, but you're a you're a sales versant leader as well, which is a rarity yeah. that you can have this sort of diversity of capabilities at the business and technical layer. You're you, you truly are a unicorn of <laughs> of humans, uh, Kirk, because quite mm -hmm. often I find this you know really strong technical founders. But they probably wouldn't pass a Turing test if you, yeah. and then you don't want them in front of customers. So we have this really challenge. So it's it's very interesting to me that you've yeah. you really have a strength it, in a lot of areas. It's honestly, I mean, a lot of it's just through osmosis. I mean, it's I haven't, <laughs> I don't have an MBA. I just have a master's in CS. But it's like, I mean, I I learned a lot just from the scars along the way. I look at it, and I had a great business partner at my first company who was. Kind of the relationship guy on the sales like it was the kind of hacker hustler model a bit and like yeah he i mean he could get a conversation with anybody it was really i mean everybody loved him and i think i kind of learned from that a bit where i was like super heads down building product like i was i mean coding and i i kind of had blinders on to that side of the business a bit and over time i sold the company and then i worked i was kind of cto or vp for some places and i mean i was an exec so i had to i mean interact with sales and marketing and stuff like that and at, at VC back companies, but I think now taking another go at this, it's like, yeah, I mean, you have to, you really have to be customer customer led and and really think about the customer and be pragmatic about it. Um, but I mean, I'm also, I mean, writing back in code still. So it's like, I'm having to wear those two hats, but in the, in the daytime, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, we gotta, it's, it's to make money. You gotta make customers happy. I mean, that's, that's where it all starts. Well, and really, especially in a in a very technical sale, the CEO is the first CRO yeah. as well, right? You have yeah. to be customer facing. You have to be the yeah. head of sales alongside your relationship sales, you know, person or team. But it, it is a there's definitely a period where the handoff has to be slow and yeah. methodical and proven before you can know that. Because this is what I'm curious. You know, with a very technical sale, they've got interesting sales cycles too. I know, like the enterprise stuff can be really long. It's hard for a lot of folks to be able to weather the storm of yeah. long sales cycles. So, you yeah, kind of know what you're heading into with that, though. Yeah, we're trying to follow. I mean, we've been opinionated about this of being more of a consumption billing model. So it's more like a Dropbox kind of model where the more data you put into it, the more money you pay. Um, right, and we have. I mean, there's going to be kind of more margin and multipliers because we're like doing machine learning on it. I mean, we're running computer vision algorithms. Like, so it's not going to be like at cost for storage, like a like a Dropbox or Google Drive. But um, that's the way we're seeing it. Is 
and and it makes it easy to get into because literally you just can get an account and start dumping data into us in 15 minutes and so i mean five minutes really and so it's that part is really we're being we're taking almost a bit of a consumer prosumer kind of bent on it say look you find us on the internet like you hit a you get a free you can basically sign up get a free trial and get um we're essentially doing storage quota as our trial like we'll give you a couple i don't know 50 gigabytes for free. We're still trying to figure that out, but, um, and just play with it and see, I mean, and give us, I mean, if you like it, give us feedback and then expand from there. Like we want to get into more of, I mean, an organizational level sale. And, and so it's more of like a land expand upsell model um, as, as one sense, but then we also have an outbound sales um, focus where, I mean, there's the, the bigger companies that we can go talk to and work downwards from like their um, innovation groups and things like that as well. So it's uh, it is a bit different. I mean, I, I I've been in that long term enterprise sales cycle before, and we we want to try and stay away from that. Like we can't have <laughs> yeah. we we can't support like six month sales cycles for sure. We, we just want to have people just try it out. So I guess I, it, product wide growth is like the term I guess these days. Right. Yeah. And and this is important because you're in the end. Of course, we always are ultimately selling to uh, a CIO, a CTO, like. The person that ultimately signs the bigger long-term deal and understands where you become core to their ecosystem is in the executive team. Yep. However, to be able to get in and get practical and get sticky, it yep. requires like I love that you've got this ability to just get in there, have them try it, have them understand it, and then say, okay, yep. you know, like the matrix, just more. <laughs> I, I, I mean, and I've been, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but just of like startup founders and folks like that and hearing the ones that, I mean, are, are like getting in there. I mean, getting, just kind of getting their hands dirty. Like um, what's the one, uh, the one product, uh, product uh, journey one, but it's, I think it's like they, they are, they're selling to developers, but then they have to sell to the team as well. And so like right. have to grow into that, into, um, into some of those is, is really tricky. And I think for us, initially we're going to sell into line of business users and try and get them using it of like, Hey, we're just trying to augment your day-to-day -day workflow. And that's the first goal. Um, we're not as focused on like machine learning um, data engineers yet, but once we open up the API a bit more, that'll I think be the focus. Um, we actually want to bring somebody in the house to kind of own that from a thought leadership standpoint, um, have somebody uh, hopefully bring it in later this year. And I think that'll then open up that whole workflow of, okay, data labeling, I mean, training, all that kind of stuff. Because I'm not a data scientist by trade. I mean, I'm a platform guy, but not that world. And yeah. so I think that's where we, we want to expand to. And I think there's, I mean, but you have to talk their talk as well. And so that's a totally different type of sales. Yeah, you need the evangelists, you know, somebody who can be very much from that ecosystem, whether it's, we call it, talk about developer advocacy or, or whatever that, we the name changed every once in a while. It's like one of the OG tech, technology evangelists. Every once in a while, someone's like, "Oh, isn't that kind of closer to like sales?" I'm like, "No, it's developer advocacy before there was developer advocacy." I yep, just, yep. I, I just didn't change the title along the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's a big it's, and that's where I see like I mean, we're kind of focused on 2021 right now. We have a big set of goals for 2022. It's like an order of magnitude more, but it's like we got to get that stickiness, get some feedback. And then really put the pedal down, and that's what, from a fundraising side, I mean, we took in a good bit of seed, but it's, I mean, I, I think there's a lot more like to get to that next level of growth. Um, I mean, we we want to show traction first, but there, I mean, I have so many other things about 
I mean, we're actually building a mobile app for data capture. And we want to do things like live data capture, connect to edge devices. We want to do, um, I mean, I've been thinking about our, um, augmented reality to like see that change over time tracking in almost like a ghost image as you're walking around looking at your facility. Um, we, we have the data. We know where you are in 3D space. We can essentially show you the, as you're walking around the data from the previous inspection and things like that, almost right. in an augmented world. Um, I think there's so much high ceiling on, on cool stuff like that that would would help the the line of business user side of side of things. So yeah, I mean we're we're looking to hit it pretty hard next year and um, and hopefully uh, hopefully really really grow this. Especially when you think of like industrial flow, like that is something where to be able to understand true you know, path optimization in the physical yeah. sense. It's, there's no way yeah. to do it because they, unless you're going to get every single person to wear a sensor, you know, and then build a system in which you can measure their place at any point in time in a 3D right. location. Just building the collection system is yep. like, that's a huge problem unto itself. And then mm -hmm. now ultimately classifying and then and making sense of that, that data. And that's, that was the first customer signal that we really heard that was new um, when we got started is, I mean, everybody like they're saying, they're not at their desk very often. They're actually going around their facility. They're very mobile people per se. And um, six hours a day, they're capturing data, but then they have to go back to their desk, uh, figure out how to upload it. How do they get it off their iPhone? Where do they save it? And if yeah. we can just streamline that part of it, the data captures collection side, that's really what we're focusing on right now. So we're building a pretty cool kind of session-based data, like capture session-based um, UI tool. And then want to even expand that out to like 3D point cloud capture with LiDAR and on the new iPhones. And um, But it's going to be basically image, audio, and video at first. And But the cool thing then is we're doing like speech text extraction. So you can do a voice memo of saying, hey, equipment, like part ID, ABC123 has a problem. Here's an image of it. Here's a video of me walking around it and then just automatically sync it. And then we can now correlate that with, I mean, eventually we want to correlate that with their database. Say, hey, you spoke the words of this equipment ID. We can now give you like all this other information of the, the I mean, the history of it and all that kind of stuff, um, as well as see, hey, what did this look like three months ago? Because we have that data as well. Um, so I think That's that that holistic view gets really interesting. Because then you're combining both sort of spatial data as well as time series, and then yeah. each and each unto itself is its own complex problem that yeah. people are trying to solve. And then to put them together, it, it's basically you've got a physics problem now. Like that's the level yeah. at which you're working. Where unless you're friends with Eric Weinstein and, and his crew, <laughs> you're you've got a tough nut to crack. It's a, I mean, that's where I think that's what gets me excited is we, we call it the triad of like time and space and metadata. And we extract data in all those three axes and then organize it and visualize it in those three axes. So the team is now that's like a, I don't know, a term that keeps coming up almost like a meme and internally of um, as long as we kind of bring it back to the triad of those three axes, like we're doing the right thing. And I think it's, we just got to get everybody's data aligned to that. And then we can start innovating. Um, around around those axes. What and thinking about the the sort of future availability now, you've got two ways in which you can apply a lot of work that your platform can do. Because number one, of course, you capture. So at ingestion, there's a certain amount of work that can be done. But the beauty part is that once the data is at rest, it doesn't take away your opportunity to then 
augment, do additional things. So even as a person takes on the platform early, they'll be able to realize additional benefits down the road because that stuff that yeah. you may do at ingestion eventually can still be done at rest and then they can sort of gain from the rest of the mm -hmm. community. Well, there's almost, there's almost two levels of data at rest too, where we have the metadata we've extracted and then the source data. And we are looking at like, we can act as an archive or we can keep around their source media, like keep a copy of it. Because if we want to go backfill and run ML algorithms, you got to have the data. And so it's, I mean, the metadata is useful for some things, but you can't, um, I mean, I want to go, I don't know, We there's a new version of a model that, I don't know, is better at identifying rust or something. Um, you got if you want to go and re-evaluate it against all your data, I mean, you have to touch the the data. And so I think that's an interesting part. Um, and then also the metadata, the writing algorithms just on the metadata gets interesting of we're looking at doing like similarity search um, or um, clustering and say, hey, why, I mean, why are all these pictures clustered together via the same tag? And that's where we can pull insights out um, that is not obvious. And so I mean, part of it's just visualization, but part of it's actually writing algorithms to to glean more insights out of it. So th those are the two areas that are that are pretty cool. You've really got uh, you have also have like a an infrastructure platform yep. challenge that you have to solve just in being unstruck yep. data. That in and of itself is incredibly complex. And you've chosen you talked about before about your your running in the Azure platform. Now you must be doing stuff in there that they are excited to watch. <laughs> and it's, I mean, and that's the thing. I think, I mean, we're, I kind of had, and this is where I'd kind of been dabbling on the side and going through a couple iterations of like, I was using what was called service fabric, which was kind of like almost a Kubernetes style cluster model. And then I moved things over to um, Azure Functions to be purely serverless um, because I was paying for all the infrastructure myself. And I was like, I don't want to have to pay X hundred dollars a month just to keep this cluster up that if I just move it to serverless, then I'm only paying for what I need. And so once I, I, I kind of taught myself that whole model, but also I guess the the event-driven architecture has always been kind of natural to me. And so we're all built on that. So it's everything is asynchronous, everything is event-driven, but that actually makes us, um, lets us work at scale very well. So, I mean, you could dump 100,000 things, uh, assets in there at the same time, and your, I mean, your farm just bursts, bursts out. The database can scale up, I mean, the, the function, the compute scales up, um, but there are limitations too. Like we don't have access to GPUs um, in a serverless architecture, which is a limitation. So as we're doing some of the 3D work, we actually have a limitation today where like we can't create thumbnails of a 3D geometry because all the libraries I could find required a GPU. And so it's things like that where maybe we do need to have a separate like Kubernetes cluster with access to GPU to farm out some of those pieces or, or like video compression, um, GPUs um, faster in some sense. So we do get into an infrastructure like um, how much do we need our um, database to scale? I mean, we're using essentially two database types, um, a more SQL, like a NoSQL document and a graph database, as well as a search index. Um, and so over time, we may try and collapse those into, I mean, look at other technologies and things, but. I pick, I mean, I really like Cosmos DB just personally on Azure just because of the scalability of it. It's right. very easy to use. You don't have to worry about indexing. Um, and that was, I mean, it's not the most perfect thing in the world for every case, but for what we're doing, it, it works really nicely. And, but it's also, we've abstracted it enough that if we need to swap in other databases in the future, we can. 
And so I have been forward looking enough to say like, yeah, we might need to move to Neo4j or TigerGraph or something like that in the future. Or maybe a customer has a reason they want to use that or something. Um, we can uh, we can swap pieces of it in and out. Yeah, what was the recent thing we saw? Like Neo4j, they it was whether it was like a funding. I can't remember what it was. A recent yeah. announcement, yeah. and that was basically they're like, <laughs> okay, graph is real. Like this is a yeah. thing now. Like it's so funny that we went from like traditional tag as the like de facto metadata of you know, the future. And now once we saw how we can leverage graph, it's like, oh, okay, this is literally from crawl to run as far yeah. as capabilities. And now we get to, you know, figure out how to bring a lot of those applications forward to, yeah. and also just like any technology probably doesn't, maybe doesn't need graph. Like maybe the yeah. traditional structure is just fine and dandy. Right? And for us, it's interesting. I mean, we, I mean, I've been, I mean, I wrote a lot of SQL code back in the day and then kind of started just doing more just classic NoSQL, but it's, I mean, the thing I like about Graph is you can kind of almost invent your schema on the fly. Like we come up, we're like, oh, actually it'd be really useful to have an edge between this node and this node. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you just do it. <laughs> yeah. it's like there's no, there's no backfill of schema and schema migration and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and we do have to think of kind of like, doing it in place and, and how do you backfill those kind of things. But um, it's it's real. I mean, it's almost like an indexing model to me. I mean, we're kind of using the graph as an index. We're using the, just the document store kind of as our raw JSON store. Um, but then we're also doing things like full text indexing and stuff on top of that. Um, and I do think, I mean, there's, there's a chance to, like what I kind of quote invented is this kind of hybrid of those three models. I do think, I mean, we could, invent our own database that was perfect for that situation. But I don't know if that's really the place for us to be. I mean, I, I think it makes more sense of, I mean, there's so many new graph vendors like Katana Graph and, and Tiger Graph and all these that I'm going to assume there's a better mousetrap out there that right. we don't have to invent. Um, but there are things we're doing like integrated search and um, large JSON blob storage, which I mean, most of the graphs don't support today because they're mostly property key value based. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I haven't come up with an, um, um, an alternative <laughs> to kind of the architecture that I kind of came up with, but I do think I mean, we could get more of a spoke about it later. And, and if, I mean, if performance is key, and if we're all gated on like our quote database performance, we'll probably have to rewrite it in a more native fashion. But I love having managed services that I don't have to think about <laughs> like auto scaling and no, backup and all that. Like, I'm a big fan of managed services. So I would prefer not to have to do that if we don't have to. So, but it's very much in like the same reason that your platform is powerful. You can tell people like, look, do you want me to be writing the database? Do you want me to be writing capabilities uh, that that meet your needs, right? Because ultimately, it's abstracted the cost and your infrastructure is abstracted from them. But of course, yeah. because it's a technical sale, you'll often we all kind of love to say like, oh, so how's it all built? And you know. Uh, I'm curious if you don't mind. I'd love to yeah. hear like you talk about invents and you know uh, how much yeah. of the stuff that you have is is wrapped in in IP and and patents. This is a because it's a very interesting space that you're you're in. Yeah, I mean, um, so I mean, all let me say, I mean, the majority of the IP, other than managed services, um, is all us. I mean, it's all built from scratch. Like, and I had written most of the. I mean, pretty. I wrote basically the back end all myself with a a couple contractors I had early on. I was working on more of the billing and customer onboarding side. Like I started a startup company back in 2015, I guess, that was just, um, I worked on that basically full time. And that was just the 
kind of SaaS onboarding pieces of what we've already, and it's still in the box, like it's part of what we're doing. And then I started building layers of like media management and then the graph stuff evolved and all this other stuff. Um, so that's all homegrown. Um, the places we're using third party is like around, um, I mean, we're using some open source technology for some of the parsers, like to parse different image formats or media formats. We're doing um, obviously all the Azure infrastructure and, and things we're taking, I mean, we're using Event Hub, um, Azure Functions, Cognitive Services, Cognitive Search. Um, and then, I mean, I think the other part is, I mean, the UI is totally us, um, totally, but we are licensing some uh, like React components um, from some folks that uh, there's some like really, really nice React components out there that are, um, are just better than we could build in the time ourselves. So we, um, I mean, those are paid for. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, in patent-wise, it's it's not something we pursued yet. I mean, I'm a little, I don't know, I kind of have mixed feelings about that whole, I mean, market. I've, I have some patents from when I was at Microsoft, but I think as a startup, we're more concerned right now on time to market. Um, than, than the, the whole patent world, but it is something we may come back to um, in a little bit. So. Yeah, that very much comes from, it's funny as I, I work with a, a fellow, I'm an advisor to uh, one company and and he very much came from like a patent strong uh, approach yeah. to things. It's the first thing that they do is they effectively go and sort of like protect a lot of the IP because in like his particular business and his successes in the past have often been the product goes, you know, to whatever level, but then they license out the patents and that's actually part of his chosen right. business model. Yeah. So I like that you're just saying like that you're sort of focused on this is where I know I can be successful. Yeah. Let's go and, and hit the road on this one. I apologize if you're hearing, I just realized I can't tell how much sound comes oh, to the microphone. I've got someone power washing the side of my, oh, no. my yeah, I, can't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I keep uh, muting myself out just in case of like, yep. oh, there's another words from the contractors decide to come on the day you're recording. important. I mean, I actually, just to that last point of, on patents is um, a buddy of mine who has another company, um, he, they're much more patent heavy. And so, yeah. and, and they are looking at technology licenses. I mean, so it's not the wrong decision. It's just, we're so hyper-focused on just, we want to scale. We want to get get data in, get to market quickly. Um, and I mean, and, and a lot of the stuff, it's sure, it's, it's stuff maybe I've done before, other companies have done before, but in a different market. And so it's just not for this, like media entertainment has some of the basics. I mean, they've already been covered, but I mean, we're doing it for um, really a different market segment and, and in a very different way too, so. Well, and quite, especially when you get into the sort of the patent building, it's a huge amount of effort and time yeah. that you invest towards it. And part of it is that you may want to find that, you know, the method, which is ultimately what you're patenting, may evolve as you bring on the first number of customers. And then at that point, it may make sense that, okay, let's go down the road and, and yeah. you know, define and protect this, you know, through that means. But in the meantime, you know, you're, you're solving an incredibly complex problem. And that's where you want your engineers to be focused, not on sitting down with a sea of lawyers to write down, you know, yeah. and draw nice pictures of the method. <laughs> and I've been I've been there and yeah, it's I mean, it is distracting. And I think it's it's not wrong, but it's just like I and I think for us right now is it's we're not like inventing like really key like gnarly algorithms at this point. Like it's really more about the process and I mean developing workflows and just ease of use and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there are definitely some places that are very, very unique. Like the whole knowledge graph architecture is completely 
out of my brain. And and I mean, maybe something we should we should look at doing some protection in the future. But it's uh, I mean, have a little bit of time. We haven't I mean we haven't launched yet. I mean, so we're we're still haven't really shown it publicly. Um, we may come back around on that. But it's uh, yeah, right now it's it's really just I mean we're more focused on customers at this point. If nothing, you can use these podcasts as prior art, right? Now, actually, so the knowledge graph piece, maybe for folks that are fresh to this, give a bit of a description, maybe an analogous description on, on where knowledge graph comes in, because this is a really amazing area of work that's been sort of research-based as a technology, but we're seeing real practical implementations. So good to open some folks up to it. I mean, I think it's really interesting and in it, I mean, there's a theoretical side to it. I mean, I remember in undergrad taking like graph theory classes and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, it's, I mean, it's a simple enough case of, I think most people are used to sort of a tree of, I mean, you have a parent, you have children, I mean, you have grandchildren. I mean, that kind of concept of, I mean, you have a hierarchy, some kind of hierarchy comes up in a lot of applications or a lot of use cases. But what gets really interesting is when you can connect those dots of, okay, this node, this parent over here actually has a connection to something in this other sort of tree over here. And that's where we're creating those threads. Um, so you kind of have these sort of separate trees that are all related to your, your media. Like I took an image and we actually create, I think today it's about a dozen or more quote nodes uh, in the graph from one image. So we're, de we're devolving that wow. into like a, a decent amount of data in terms of the files we're tracking, the metadata we're tracking, um, but then we were opinionated about another concept just of, of tagging. And I've been involved in metadata and metadata standards for, for a number of years now. And we decided just to say, look, let's not worry about like a custom taxonomy and it really getting too crazy about it, but let's just call them tags. Let's just be very simple. Tags or, I mean, labels or they're sometimes called and map everything to a tag structure. Um, and so sure, you lose a bit of like, I mean, is the word, I don't know, um, I have to think of a word, but it's like, is it, I mean, it, it, there could be different contexts or different um, perspective on the same word. I mean, they could mean different things, but you can infer a bit of that by what it's connected to. Um, you don't have to have this massive hierarchy of like, I mean, okay, is, I mean, when you say Seattle, does that, I mean, is that related to a sports team? Is it related to the city? Is it related to Chief Seattle? I mean, like that, we're not getting that specific about it. We're trying to right. be a little simpler, but then you start to get really, I mean, if you have this taxonomy you're applying, this tag set, you can then be like, well, okay, grab one tag and pull on it and see, well, what is it connected to? And what are the kind of what's the weights of, I mean, why, like, why are all these assets over here connected to this tag, but not all these assets over here? Um, that's where I think it gets really, that's where you got to get the data into the graph. And that maybe isn't the really exciting part, but it's then, well, what can you do with the graph and can you enrich the graph? Um, so right. we go, I mean, typically a graph, you talk about entity extraction and entity enrichment. And so entity extraction in my mind is more the, how can I create those nodes in the graph and put them into the graph from unstructured data? So you're kind of extracting some structure, graph structure from unstructured data. And then there's entity enrichment, which is kind of a loop to say, oh, once I have it in the graph, can I enrich it and add more data to it? Um, and I started when I was working in, the, in this podcast idea, I was looking at, oh, I found a reference to a podcast in a web page. 
And then I would enrich the podcast by going to grab all of the episodes of that podcast and pull them into the graph. And so I would create, I would basically unroll these links into more nodes in the graph. And then you could say, oh, there's a guest in this episode and you could create an edge between that guest on that episode and other episodes they were in. And so it's, I mean, and, and that's kind of where my brain was of starting this whole process. And then I took that model and applied it to industry where you're like, oh wow, there's a conveyor belt that I see in a picture. I have somebody say the words conveyor belt in an audio stream and I am um, finding that in a document somewhere. And you yeah. essentially are extracting those nodes and then creating edges between them. Um, and that's, I mean, a lot of the same application for other um, non-business use cases, but that's how we're applying, applying the same technique. If you could solve the podcast problem, I know a guy that has real trouble with statistics. And yep. let me tell you, there's no greater lie than one backed by podcast statistics. Uh, <laughs> but as far as, the, and that, that really is the idea, right? Like you said, not enriching the graph for anybody that's worked in traditional database architectures. And then we move to like the idea of like, oh, well, let's add key value stores as another way to yep. attach metadata to it. Like no matter how you slice it, uh, anybody that's had to like press go on a on a database migration on a yep. just a massive amount of data, and just like no matter how many times you do that, you've had to apply a human understanding of this data, and you've mm -hmm. had to map it out. We we used to have DBAs, and they'd have these mm -hmm. giant sort of UML diagrams and all these different yep. you know DRDs. And then in the end, you were only as right as understanding the output that you needed. But mm -hmm. if it suddenly changed, you were oh, yeah. fundamentally wrong at this point. Like you immediately were wrong. And like, forget yeah. about your congratulations, you did data normalization like a good student. But yeah. now what? You Then you have to extend the database versus graph is really truly a living, breathing way yeah. in which you can evolve the relationships, which is huge. And that's what, I mean, I think part of it, part of my reason for, I mean, I started dabbling probably around 2015 with what was called document DB back in the day. Now it's Cosmos DB on Azure because of I had my old product was all SQL server, Microsoft SQL server based and having to release new product and do database migrations. And we were on-prem software. So like we would have to run it on their cluster and it was their managed store SQL servers. And it was just such a pain in the butt and, and so unreliable. And so that's why I was like, look, I want to really learn NoSQL and this whole JSON, I mean, doc database model and started to really like the, Oh, okay. I mean, you're going to do something. Essentially, it's a patch methodology of I, I want to like patch this JSON into this other JSON. And think, and I was just like, wow, this is so much easier to use in a lot of cases. And then I kind of learned the graph world a couple of years later, and kind of came up with this like this hybrid of that. But I mean, we're still we still are looking at doing some database migrate or not. I, I should say um, database uh, enrichment. Um, we don't have to do database migration because essentially the schema is still pretty generic. I mean, we have, I don't know, maybe a dozen entity types in the graph, um, but the majority are really like, uh, there's four or five that, or six that get used a lot. Um, and they're somewhat generic in a sense that I don't anticipate to ever really truly migrate those. Like those are never gonna go away, but maybe we invent new entity types in the future right. that we just add to the graph. So it's more of a aggregation model than kind of a transformation model. When the difference is in, in graph, the data becomes the model, not yep. the other way around versus having to create the model and back the data into it. 
you yeah. have this, you know, like I said, the relationships where suddenly you see it's like the, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon would have been mm -hmm. a lot easier if we had graph back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's really, I mean, and sometimes the graph surprise you and that's where we're actually going to be adding in a graph visualizer tool um, into the application. Maybe not. I mean, it's it's more about data exploration. And, and initially, maybe it is even just more manual. It's like, hey, you can navigate the the universe of your data. Um, and I think I've, I've seen that even when I was doing this podcast thing is you learn things that weren't obvious. I mean, you would never have thought to query them, but your right. eyeball can be like, wait, why is everything centering on this one node here? That's weird. And I actually, I mean, visually caught bugs just because I was like, I could see these, all these almost satellites around my data that weren't connected to anything. And I was like, that's odd. And like <laughs> to build data quality algorithms and to figure that out in the tooling or even my unit to my testing was, it was actually way easier just to visually see the problem and go, oh, okay, now I know what's, what's broken there. I'm missing edges between these things. Um, but to like, I would have never thought to query for it necessarily. Like I would have had to have really right. follow data validation, just assuming the code was working because it was working in other cases. So um, that's where and I think- writing these, And writing heroic level SQL queries to try yeah, yeah. and hunt down all this data across yeah. the structure, right? And so that's where I think that gets really cool. And then I'm really excited about um, building that out in the next couple of months. Like we're just getting kind of everything else ready and then we're gonna put this in as kind of almost a dashboard view of here's your universe of your data for exploration. Um, and then I think there's, I mean, we'll just keep building on that and leveraging that for other, for other stuff too. And, um, and then really our, our future is it then becomes all about data integration and data collaboration of, Hey, can your organization communicate over this data, triage it, prioritize it, and then use it for other things. That's, that's really what I see as kind of the next, the, I mean, that's where things get really interesting. Yeah. And it's, I like that you can look at it because we ultimately it always sits from both sides because there's mm -hmm. the pure sort of the data, the human exploration of the data and understanding a business context or a functional context that they want to apply. And they can visually explore and walk this path of the data in a mm -hmm. way that you may not have understood. And then on the bottom side, of course, you can then do inference and then you can apply yeah. other. Now you can bring machine learning into it. and you may find interesting edge cases that are now real core use cases from either end, but not neither one is pure. It's not that the human exploration of it is wrong or bad. It's quite often that's the only way we do it, right? We, yeah. it was the UI versus UX, right? The classic, like a, a square lawn with a cut path, yeah. a diagonal across <laughs> it, right? Like it's, yeah. we don't necessarily understand what the behavior will be yeah. until you observe it. Right. Right. And ex allowing an explorable interface and seeing people then explore the data, which is what Graph unlocks in a way that we couldn't have when we had to purposefully build the structure in the query. Yeah. It, it's uh, I, I'm excited. I'm with you. Uh, I um, I cannot wait to see you know the sort of next phase as as what you're doing gets uh, unpacked yeah. onto the world. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I mean, and and having more eyes on it. I mean, I know that. The team that's building it right now, you get that kind of like, um, I don't know, feature blindness a little bit because you've been staring at the same thing for so long. And it's we've started to roll it out. Like we just had a bug bash with our sales team this week and and they're using it in a very different way than I'd ever used it. And it's just as you get it into more eyeballs, we go, oh man, I never even thought of that. And that's the part, I mean, it, it like, I guess, I don't know, maybe some people are annoyed by that, but I love that part because it's like, 
I know that I'm not going to be able to see it and I'm getting blind to it because I look at it every day. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited to get it in the hands of other people because I mean, we're going to get great feedback and, um, and we're right on the cusp of that right now. Well, the, I, I, I probably anger my team, but it's been a weird combination of just like, Oh man, like they just kind of get mad when you discover stuff, but they're also super happy because yeah. as you said, you get this thing where you're locked in, you're like, they know the use case. It's like test driven development effectively, yeah. except that they only build in the tests that they know of. Yep. And so I'll come in and they'll be like, yeah, look at this. They can show you this really neat thing we're doing in like in graph exploration. And <laughs> I go and I'm like, well, I can pin all these nodes over here. I'm like, that's yep. neat because that's the way you've shown the demo. I said, but I can't get rid of them. Like the first thing you do now is you then take this to a time series visualization. Yeah. Like what if I wanted to like change the nodes that I've, that I've pinned over here? And they're like, oh God, like, cause they, they just thought like, I know the use case I'm gonna test and it works yeah. in this beautiful workflow, unless you need to back out somewhere in yeah. the middle and then you're stuck. <laughs> it's so true, it's so true. I mean, it's a classic thing, but it's, I mean, I think it, that's where I've been, I mean, having been through multiple product releases and all this kind of stuff before, it's like, I don't, I don't. it doesn't stress me out, but I think for the some of the more junior developers or other people that haven't been through that, like it's like you expect to get it day one, correct, yeah. correct and, my expectations are a lot lower, I guess, where I know I know we're gonna like iterate. And we and also I mean, we've been intentional to give ourselves time to iterate. Yeah. That's where you can get burned if like if we just try and power through the rest of this year and give ourselves no oxygen to adjust, like that's how we're gonna I mean fail. So it's uh yeah, so we're trying to be pragmatic about that. Well, and this really is given that you've been you've been a founder before you've oh, understands the merger of like the engineering impact of changes that you make in the way the platform works. How did, how do you define, like I'll say from your previous experiences, almost every founder tells me what they thought was the MVP was way beyond the MVP. It's really hard to yeah. know you're ready. Everybody in hindsight goes, yeah, we waited too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, we're, we've had those debates. Like we, I mean, we haven't been going that long. I mean, what it's about four, four or five months. I was going to say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm talking as if I've I've had you going for four years. You've actually yeah. you're in pretty MVP, but you're very, you're very evolved in the MVP. Like you yeah. are pretty far along on on. That's the I mean, it's we and it, it is a. I mean, I'm I'm trying not to overdo it. I, I catch myself like I, I'm there. I mean, sometimes just getting in the weeds a little too much, and I gotta just shut up and just be like, okay, let's get this out the door. And, <laughs> and I think it's it's kind of my message to myself this week is. I mean, look, I mean, remember, this is the first version, like, it's never going to be perfect. And, and and it's over. I mean, it's, you just get into like, starting to give commentary about the product, but it's like, no, 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 you got to wait for customers. Like, we got to, like, we've been pretty opinionated from our the initial customer discussions, but we don't have the customer usage discussions, you know, the customer right. usage feedback yet. Um, and so that's where I think we just got to, and, and we put a little bit more in the box and we were originally for MVP. So we decided like, I mean, there were a couple feature areas where like, look, I mean, we just, we gotta just get that in the box first and not wait. And so, I mean, hopefully it's the right answer. I mean, I think, um, I mean, from a funding perspective, we're fine. We have the time, but I don't wanna miss the window with customers either. Right. So we're right now, I mean, given that we're what in, in a July right now, that our focus is kind of right after Labor Day. Like people get back from vacation, Let's just be completely ready for whatever we're going to get by then and hit it hard. Um, so we got from Labor Day to Christmas is our focal point for this year. And then we just want to, 
it's not even necessarily about revenue. It's just about feedback and and right. getting getting people. I mean, using it and and proving some of our thesis points. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, it's just we're what is it about six eight weeks away from that or or so. And uh, I mean, we have got a bunch of people that are ready to roll with it and. Now the now the rubber meets the road. <laughs> in a yeah, of yeah. No, it's it's such a fantastic feeling. That I, I'm i incredible respect, Kirk. You've like everything <laughs> I think of, like and throw at you. You very very thought you've thought this whole process through in a lot of ways. That when I talk to founders and and builders, it's very they there's always stuff missing. You've you've done a really fantastic job of understanding every edge you talked about the fact that you built onboarding as part of the early part of it also a huge area where people are like oh let's get the product to work not right. realizing if you've got a a, a, a friction a high friction onboarding then yep. your sales team is going to be in real grief as they yep. get go from first customer to second customer and uh, i really your experience and understanding of the customer side and the customer led approach is is coming through in the way oh, you've, yeah. you've put it together well it's interesting because yeah that was that i mean it's essentially a company i was trying to start for just the onboarding and i was it was sort of like a i mean if you look at like twilio or, or companies like that that are just very api driven companies like i wanted to have something like that and essentially i was building an api to do that grungy onboardings like tie billing together with provisioning together with authentication and all that, because that was my initial thesis is like, that's the part that everybody has to build. I mean, even if you're using Auth0, even if you're using Stripe or even if whatever, just yeah. tying all that up into a nice API bow, what have you. And I mean, maybe I was a little early. It was, it was kind of a hard thing to sell by itself. And also I didn't have like a business side co-founder. Um, and so, but what I did is I essentially took the IP and just rolled it into everything else I did. And so it's like, I didn't sell it, <laughs> I awesome. just used it for my own project. So it was a good, I mean, it didn't go away. It's still in the box right now, even in, in Unstruck. Um, but it's funny. I mean, that's basically, I took all that IP that I built over the years and that became the, the starting point for, for what we did. So it, I mean, it, the startup didn't pan out, but it, the code ended, ended up living on for a long time. So. It's quite often, I mean, that's, the, it's the, I'll say it's sort of the unsexy part, a lot of this plumbing that, you know, quite often. And I mean, look, how many, how many companies could we talk about you know, we could go through a litany of, of, of different examples where they, they went to market with one thing and that thing actually was the thing that led to the thing, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Or often they built, you know, was, you know, dot cloud was one of my favorite, you know, things of like dot cloud was trying to build this incredible paths to battle the cloud foundries and the Heroku's of the world. And they had to build this container construct while they yeah. were at it and they called it yeah. docker and well that's that's the only no one remembers dot cloud <laughs> they sure yeah, Docker exactly. though. Right? classic what slack was a video game or something yeah yeah like odio of podcasts and and transformation and and but those again like it's you've solved you knew this problem needed to be solved and, and bringing that yeah. through to the next thing it's a beautiful opportunity to to come together. So I'm excited for, for what's ahead for you, Kirk. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it was also when I had my company, it was right at the, the cusp of cloud native software. And I really wanted to do something cloud native. And so I started to rebuild everything that I had done on-prem in a cloud native world. And I learned a ton. And I think it was, part of it was just for my own like knowledge. And part of it was like, wow, there's actually 
interesting needs here. I mean, the, to, to build yeah. these things out. So yeah, I'm excited about it. I mean, I think we're, we've got a great team. Um, I mean, it's people I, most of them I'd known before and then we're all pulling in the same direction, which is really important. And, uh, and it, I mean, it's, yeah, even, I mean, we're going to get into customers' hands. So essentially within six months of funding, which I think is pretty rare. And uh, I mean, as long as, <laughs> as long as we're not wrong in, uh, in that there's a need here, which, I mean, it's funny. I mean, from an investor side, it's been super positive talking to investors. But now my biggest thing is we got to make sure the customers love it as well. And so it's yeah. uh, we're, not, we're not just selling this thing to investors at this point. So um, we'll, Wait, and and we'll prove it out soon. We are in an opportune time for a lot of these things. When you've got the sort of readiness of product that you've got, access to funding, despite a really challenging time in the world we've had, yeah. there is a surprising amount of capital that's available, but looking for stuff that can get to market faster so you know I, again i'm 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 bullish on on yeah. where where unstruck is going to be in in the coming months and on top of this you've got a career as an advisor and uh, you got a book in you if you can take all these lessons and <laughs> you forget about the the andreessen horowitz folks yeah. you you've you've done this for real as well and yeah. you've done it in a you've done it with humility and oh, it's a it's again. No, I it's if, I, if I could ever, uh, yeah, if I could get, ever get a break for long enough, I mean that that wouldn't be a bad thing. So, yeah, would yeah. <laughs> be good. So, no, yeah. Kirk, I know you're like you. I I can imagine that the moment you have an hour of free time, you find four hours of work to cram into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly it's mostly like that, but it's uh, you have the you got to have the downtime to kind of germinate the new ideas and and uh, and also just I mean just the the I can't do everything, so it's like I'm having to sort of take a breath, let the team like finish their work. And then, uh, I mean, my parts, I mean, the majority of it's done for, for what we need to do. And so now I just got to like focus on all the other stuff, marketing and sales and all that, because there's, there's yeah. a lot of other pieces to the equation too, not just writing code. So. Amen. Well, I tell you, I could do a whole, we could do a whole podcast on that alone. I don't want to steal <laughs> any more of your time. Uh, Kirk, thank you very much for folks that did want to get a hold of you and, and get in contact. Of course, I'll have links to Unstruck Data. And uh, I imagine that people will be seeing press releases coming out before too long for a variety of reasons, which is great. Um, but what's the best way if people wanted to get connected? Yeah. Um, I mean, LinkedIn is probably the place I'm on uh, the most. So just, uh, I think I'm on the only Kirk Marple there. And it's uh, also on Twitter, just at Kirk Marple and then at Unstruck on Twitter. Uh, those are the main the main places you can find us. And of course, Unstruck, A-U-N-S-T-R-U-K. So uh, for folks that are accidentally typing Unstruck with a C, uh, <laughs> then uh, you'll you'll find that you're, you're heading to the wrong place. But uh, no, very, very cool. I'm excited. So there you go. Kirk Marple, Unstruck data, fantastic. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.